Uh, my name is Eric Karstensen, um, born in Hammond, Indiana. I grew up in Highland, Indiana. I've been married twice. Uh, I was married uh, well, for about 10 years, had two beautiful children. That marriage ended. It was devastating for me. It was, it was tough. I, was, I've, I, was, I had two children that I was, I was raising. It eventually turned into um, a custody battle. In spite of trying to do everything the right way, you know, I was painted to be uh, a villain. There was a lot of lies being told about me. It had damaged me, it hurt me. It, it, uh, it caused me to, you know, you hear that building walls, you know, it caused me to build walls and it caused my heart to be hardened. I met my current wife, Diana. She had gone through a divorce, so the two of us moved in together and uh, brought my two kids in. Diana had two boys of her own. We ended up getting married. You know, we've been married for, I think, 15 years now. When we fought, uh, we screamed, we yelled. I broke things. You know, I, th I threw pieces of furniture. I mean, just rage arguing and fighting and there was times where you know we wouldn't talk for a week you know i mean just get angry and just like i could ignore her for a week full of pride full of anger you know you name it i i checked every box you know when it came to to the uh all the things i shouldn't do one of my co-workers uh tim schweiger says you should check this church out now this is really close to the time of COVID. So we started going, marriage class, right? You know, Pastor Ron says, don't forget marriage class, you know? That's when things, those walls really started getting tore down and one of the marriage classes, um, they said, you know, rate your marriage, right? So they wanted us, you know, maybe on the drive home or, you know, other day, like talk about, like ask each other, your spouse, you know, how, what, how they would rate the marriage, like one to 10, you know? Uh, we get in the car and we're driving, you know, and, and I'm like, I'm all cool, you know, like, yeah, what do you think? And she's like, well, you know, what do you think? You know, so I'm like, I don't know, like a, I don't know, like a six, seven, or somewhere around there, I think I was. And I'm waiting for her to say, you know, I'm like, so what do you think, you know? And she's like, yeah, I don't know, like a, like a one or a two. And it was an eye opener for me, you know? And uh, I didn't get mad. It, it like, it, it hurt me, right? It hurt me because uh, to think that, you know, that's how bad things were. I was asked by uh, Jeff Tim to be a part of the discipleship group. Jeff tells me, you, you gotta do an encounter before you can be in discipleship, right? So I'm like, okay. So it looks like I'm doing an encounter. And it was amazing. It was just another step in that journey of healing, right? Another part of that wall being torn down and, and uh, all leading to, I think, my experience in the park with my wife. I was probably down here sitting on the couch watching TV. You know, my wife's like, you want to go for a walk? I don't feel like going for a walk, right? I'm sitting there and it's like, you need to go for a walk with your wife, right? Got up, I went for a walk with my wife. So we're walking across the field. I'm holding her hand. I've never felt anything like this. The hand of God just came down and touched me and filled me with 
love like I've never felt in my whole life. And I started crying. I, I just instantly started crying. It was, it was so strong, it's almost like you can't contain it. And my wife looks at me and she says, what's wrong? And I said, because I feel so much love right now, so much love for you. It, it was like I was released of all those, all those things. He healed me right there. He was last night at the dinner table. And I said to my wife, so, so how would you rate our marriage, you know, now? And she's like, well, you know, and she's kind of him on around. And I'm like, I'll tell you what my number is. And I said, you know, my number is, I think, seven or eight, right? And I said, the only reason I say it's a seven or eight is because I know that I have work to do. You know, she said it's a seven, you know, which, like, I was so happy. And I got up and gave her a kiss. And, you know, it's just, that's awesome. I mean, I went from a one to a seven, you know, but uh, I was uh, a bitter, hurt person, right? And, and, uh, and I don't do that anymore. That's the changes in my life, you know? I don't always get it right. We still have our issues, but this is the difference, you know? Amazing stuff. First of all, Eric, thank you for sharing your story, you and your precious wife, Diana. And your wonderful mother is in the house today, and so we want to honor your mama. Glad that you're here with us today. You know, Eric's uh, one of the electricians working on the building, and so I run out and say hey to him almost every day, and we're talking about these stories, and he said, you know what? He goes, I don't think we would still be married if it wasn't for coming to Living Stones and for what the Lord has done in our hearts and our marriage. And uh, I said, you need to tell that story, and so here you have it. Now he told his story. <laughs> but, but the part that got me, maybe it got you, the story was great, but the part that got me was when he had an encounter with God. And that's what I'm talking about. Have you had an encounter with God? By his own testimony, I appreciate how vulnerable. A, a furniture-throwing kind of rage. You think your anger is bad. You have a furniture-throwing kind of rage. How many know whatever rage you have is not a, big enough for Jesus to conquer, all right? But here's what I'm talking about, being angry, and, and of course that spills over into your relationships, and it damages your marriage, it damages your kids, it damages everything. And I love it, because your wife asks you to go for a walk, right? And you're like, I don't want to go for a walk, I want to sit here on the couch and veg out like most guys would, would want to do. But the Holy Spirit spoke to you, and I said, go for a walk with your wife. Aren't you glad God still speaks to us? And in the act, check this out, in the act of obedience, holding hands with his wife, boom, a God encounter happened. Now, you can't make this stuff up, but it is just God positioning you for something supernatural, for an encounter. And he said he felt like love just flowing out of his heart for the Lord, for his wife. And by your own testimony, that was, God healed you on the inside. 
Now listen, here's why I love to read revival history and church history. Because this is not the first time God's done that. How many of you know D.O. Moody had an encounter with God that wrecked him? How many of you know Charles Finney had an encounter with God where he said, waves of liquid love poured over me so much so I had to ask God to stop because I couldn't take it any longer. It was so amazingly wonderful and overwhelming at the same time. Now, if God did it for him, first of all, isn't that beard awesome? That beard. <laughs> if God could do it for an electrician with a crazy awesome beard and an anger problem, I mean, you know, you're a candidate for a God encounter, amen. So thank you, Eric, for sharing your story, you and Diana. Wow, and I was doing so good this week. I was watching that video in my office, and he got to that part about the encounter, and it wrecked me. I hope you continue to say, Lord, do it for me. Do it for me. Do it for me. And how many of you know you can never get wrecked too much by the Holy Spirit? And I just want this is for somebody. You can never ask God to wreck you too much, like there's no limit. Like, sorry, you've exceeded your maximum amount of being loved by the Father. No, you don't, there's never that. We need to stay in a posture of hunger for the Lord, amen? All right, you guys got to quit talking so I can preach this morning. All right, here we go. John chapter 9. Open up your Bible, John chapter 9. We're going to begin at the first verse. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why? Everybody say, why? why? I mean, you know, we love to ask that question when we're going through our own story. In fact, it's a question everybody asks, and I want to encourage you to trade it in for a better question this morning, all right? Why was this man born blind? And now we're looking for causation. Was it because of his own sins or the sins of his parents. Now, how many of you know when you're born with a congenital blindness, in other words, you came out of your mother's womb blind, it's hard to ask what this guy did wrong because he didn't do anything wrong. He's in his mama's womb, and this is, this is a birth defect. This is something he was born with. But the, the, the driving passion, it seems like, in the hearts of folks is to figure out why. Like, why is this happening to me? Why did that happen? And to try to find causation. They're no different. That's exactly what's taking place here. But look at what Jesus says. It's not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. Listen to this. This is important. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. He says, the night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, i got to share something really important. All of you are in the process of having a story written. Now, I've encouraged you, something's going to be written about your life. It's either going to be a demonic story about Satan's slavery over your life, or it's going to be a time when you took the pen out of your hand and you put it in the Lord's hand and you said, Lord, write my story. Because how many of you know God had a story and a destiny written over your life from before the foundation of the world? This is stunning. God has a dream for you. And God's dream for us is a good dream. His goodness and mercy pursue us all the days of our lives. And so God's dream for your life and his purpose for your life is amazing. But many people haven't transferred the, the, uh, the pen into the author's hand. So right now, everybody in this room, there's a story being written. Now, some of you are in a bad chapter. 
It's a painful chapter. It's a chapter uh, that you want to put a period on the end and get out of it as soon as possible. And I'm going to give you much of the bad chapters in our life. If we're looking for causes, we can say, it's my fault. It's my fault. Eric testified. Both of them testified. They both um, went through their first marriage. And I'm sure while there was lots of grenade throwing back and forth because they probably weren't following the Lord, at that point, both could probably say, you know what, I have some guilt in this. In other words, we've created some messes in our own lives. Now, there are others of you in this room, you're in a mess right now because of the decisions and choices of other people. I mean, you know, it goes both ways. Some of you have been in situations of abuse or verbal abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. There's all kinds of people hurting people. But here's my point. The decisive factor in your story is not the pain and the mess that you're in or who's responsible for it. The decisive factor is God who has a purpose above it all and who can take your worst mess and turn it into something beautiful. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, the Bible says this, and we quote this verse all the time. It's a refrigerator verse. I like to call it that, a refrigerator verse. We like to put this on the refrigerator, Romans 8, 28. This is from the uh, NLT. I'm sorry, this is actually from the Amplified Version, I believe. And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So can I just encourage you this morning, don't sit around focusing on how did I get here and who's to blame and all this kind of stuff. Could you simply surrender your story to the Lord, and could you invite him in, and could you believe that God wants to take where you're currently at and what's happened to you and turn it into something amazing? Now, all of this is meaningless. You know, I've tried to comfort people with this verse that are going through a painful time, but this verse is not comforting if Jesus is not Lord of your life and if you don't care about the glory of God. If it's still all about you, you're probably going to stay in a painful chapter. There might even be a few more painful chapters if it's all about you. I mean, you know, I'm speaking the truth right here. There might be, it might be a whole book about the pain in your life, and you could care less about God working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because listen, if the passion for Jesus and the glory of God is not the burning center of your heart, this, is, this won't comfort you at all. But I'm telling you, at your worst moment, if you'll stop asking the why question and simply say, Father, I don't know what's going on here. Who's to blame? How this all happened? But I believe you are over my life and that your purposes are decisive. In other words, your purposes matter more than anything. And here's what Jesus said, and I want you to see this. He said, this happens so that the power of God could be seen in him. Now, please hear what I'm saying. Sometimes people interpret uh, rough situations like a congenital birth defect. I, some of you know I was born with severe club feet. Uh, had to, I, it's a miracle I can walk. So every time I go to the nations and all this kind of stuff, I just rub it in the devil's face. To praise the Lord that God's greater than, than my birth defects, all right? But some people embrace the problem as if the problem itself brings God glory, but that's not what the passage said. It said, this happens so that the power of God, so that the power of God 
can be demonstrated in this man's life. In other words, it's not the, the blindness that we glory in. It's that the demonstration of God's power could be made manifest in this man's life. And, and so check this out. The, the disciples are asking all the wrong questions. They're having a theological discussion about a condition as if, how I many you know when you go to the hospital and you got a bunch of, uh, of physicians, especially at a teaching hospital, they can be all together sharing their, their medical theories about why this person's sick. Now, that's all fine and dandy because it's maybe advancing the cause of medicine, but how I many you know there's a patient in the room who could care less about your theorizing, all right? They just don't feel good, and they want help. And so it's amazing to me how religious people get in theological arguments about why somebody, and is this God's will, and, and is healing for today, and on and on and on, while Jesus just says, hey, there's a guy here who's blind. Could somebody be, be paying attention to him? Maybe he doesn't want to be blind any longer, and maybe there's an opportunity for me to transform his life. And yet we get in all these arguments in the church when we're missing the fact that there are broken, hurting people all around us. Listen, waiting to hear the good news about the power of God to change their life. And that's, that's why, Eric, the thing that got me the most is you taking a little stroll in the park. A stroll in the park and a power encounter from God that wrecks your heart and changes you. This stuff is fun, folks. Let's just not be content with staying in church talking about it, arguing doctrinally about what God is doing and not doing and who's to blame and all that. Let's just, how about this? How about we look at the people around us as opportunities for God to demonstrate his power in their lives. Instead of finger-pointing in the church, why don't we say, praise God, that person that's really, really messed up showed up at church today, and I don't need to judge them for why they're messed up. I need to pray that while they're here, God rocks them supernaturally by the love of the people, by the power of the Word, and by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So don't focus on the pain. Focus on the purpose. And, uh, and surrendering to his purpose and letting God write his story through uh, our lives, all right? Let's not be an armchair theologian. Jesus said, guys, quit having a discussion, and let's use this as an opportunity for God to demonstrate his greatness. In fact, Jesus sensed an urgency. He said, we got to do this while it's still daytime because there's a nighttime coming when we're not going to be able to work. So how about we have a sense of urgency that not only is God going to write a story in your life, but how about let's be a part of writing a story in somebody else's life? I love the way he said, yeah, you know, Jeff Tim, he mentioned Jeff Tim. Jeff, where are you at? I said, there you are. Because Jeff and Michelle opened up their home and let people come to their house, and guess what they do? It's called a life group. And what do they do? By the way, life group starting next Sunday, a little shameless plug for that. But what do they do when they open up their home? They just love people. And the process of eating some food and working through a sub lesson, having some worship together and encouraging one another and praying for one another, people's lives get changed. So Jeff was incorporated in Michelle and Eric's testimony simply because their lives passed and God was able to use one brother to touch another brother. This is, this is how this stuff gets to be so fun. Now check this out. Let's look at verse 6. Jesus, the troublemaker here. Then Jesus spit on the ground. 
He made some mud with the saliva, and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Now, now how many of you know Jesus didn't have to do any of that? That was his choice. That was his, his mode for that moment. Why would Jesus, this is the only place in the Bible where I see this happening, why was Jesus making mud pies and smearing on the guy's eyes? Well, let's keep reading. He told him, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. Now, check this out. Siloam means sent, so the man went. How I many you know if you've been sent, you got to went or you don't get the results? <laughs> Some people have been sent, but they never went. In other words, if God's told you to do something, you got to went, all right? If you've been sent, you got to went. So he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Now, this is amazing. This is the first time in the biblical record that a person who was born blind, we're not talking about cataracts or something like that, born blind, never seen the light of day, was healed of their blindness. So check this out. Since healing blind eyes is the work of the Lord, it shows that Jesus is God. Let's look at Psalm 146, verse 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. How about opening the eyes of the blind was prophesied to be the work of the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. So I want you to notice Jesus is doing this to demonstrate the fact that he's the Messiah. It's not like every day you walk around seeing people with a congenital blindness. This is a creative miracle. This is a miracle that is a Messiah-sized miracle, and it points to the fact that Jesus is who he said he is. I also want you to know, why did Jesus do the mud pie thing on the Sabbath? Because this, you ready for this? In the minds of religious people, if you mixed water with flour and you kneaded it and turned it into dough, that was considered work. They also considered taking spit and mud and dirt and making it into mud. That was under the kneading category. No kneading allowed. Jesus knows all this, and he's having some fun with all their stupid religious rules, and he's trying to bypass them all to go straight after a man who's never seen before to create a miracle that should point to his glory, that should cause everybody to fall down and worship him and receive him as Messiah. But here's what we're going to find out. Just the opposite happens. Jesus' supernatural act of healing creates a whole wave of controversial conversations, and I'm going to go through them really quickly here. First of all, the beggar and his neighbors. Look with me at John chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. This is amazing. It says, um, his neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar ask each other, uh, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, no, he just looks like that guy. Now, let me just say this first of all. Isn't it amazing that our pain and our brokenness many times becomes the very thing that we're labeled by. This guy isn't even given a name. He's just called the blind beggar. He, he's not even, he's depersonalized. Isn't it beautiful that, that, that the Lord wants to personalize his touch in your life? You're not just an angry, violent man. You're not just a, a, a person addicted to porn or lust. You're not just somebody who is whatever it is that your issue is. You're a person made in the image and likeness of God, and God cares about who you are as an individual. Now, this guy's going, isn't that the guy, the blind beggar? No, I think it just looks like him. And look at what the guy says next. This is hilarious. The beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the guy. Yes, I'm the guy. They won't believe him because it, it, he's actually seeing. 
the blind beggar's like, that's me, that's me, that's me. No, you just look like him. No, that's me. I'm just kind of hilarious. You got a blind guy that's saying, oh, trust me. Trust me with this one. I'm the guy. And so here they're having this fun conversation back about who he is. But the beggar keeps saying, it's me, it's me, it's me. And I want you to look what follows next. Three questions. Who? What? Where? They're, they're trying to put the pieces together, trying to figure out how all this happened. Now the conversation shifts in verses 13 through 17. Follow along with me. Uh, they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath and, uh, that Jesus made the mud and healed him. Violation of the religious code. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes, and then when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus isn't from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Now, can I show you how ugly religion is? If you had a guy who hasn't seen all of his life, blind from birth, and he could see, would you be more concerned with celebrating and rejoicing with the dude or with finding some religious doctrinal violation that you could bring up to discredit the whole thing. See, this is how ugly religion is. There are some denominations, if you got healed in church on Sunday, you get kicked out of the church because Jesus doesn't do that anymore. And so it must have been from the devil. It is amazing how much we attribute the goodness of God to the works of the devil simply because of bad theology. You say, well, God doesn't speak anymore outside of his word. Well, tell that to Eric. Because God just told him, take a walk with your wife. And you won't find that in the Bible, by the way, that, that verse, take a walk with your wife, at least not that I can think of. <laughs> but how many of you know it's consistent with the Scripture? And the Bible actually says those who are mature enough to hear the voice of God are actually the sons of God. So, way to go. You're maturing. On God's scale, you're moving from a one to a seven by your wife's own admission, and there's still more room for growth for all of us. Praise the Lord. But it amazes me how nasty and how mean people can be when their theology runs crosshairs with somebody else's encounter with God. This church was started, by the way, because my mom and dad had an encounter with God. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, except they, they experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a denomination that said that was of the devil. Now, let me just say this. If I spent time with Dick and Susie Bastia, which I have, for many, many years, and I knew their character and I knew their love for God, and then they told me they got baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I knew their character and I knew who they were, I would have to pause for a minute and say, tell me more about what you're saying happened, and I'm going to have to work this out in my theology because my theology doesn't believe this happens. But I wouldn't treat them like the devil because I know too much of their character. But my mom and dad got kicked out of the church as my dad was an elder in the church because he was such a disappointment because he was such a rising young star in the denomination. But he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And not only kicked out, but they went to my dad's school while he was teaching eighth grade or ninth grade math, interrupted his class, and brought in a letter of resignation they demanded him to sign at that very moment at school because what had happened in his life did not fit with their theology, even though did the man have a moral failure? No. 
Was the man mean to his wife? No. Did he have, was he paying his bills? No. Was he robbing banks? Was he beating people, raping, pillaging? No! But we don't do that here, and God doesn't do that anymore. How I many of you know, that is, a, that is wicked religious spirit. It is a wicked religious spirit, and it will keep you in bondage, and it will keep you, listen, a wicked religious spirit will keep you from an encounter with God. So here they're all, they're all having a fit, trying to figure out what's going on here. Um, and instead, they should have been worshiping Jesus because only the Messiah can open the eyes of the blind. But that's not what's happening. I'm going to move on quickly here. Uh, obviously, Jesus chose the Sabbath because he's stirring some things up, which he loved to do. That's why, again, we love to be Holy Spirit in, or disruptive. I just want you to know I'm praying for COVID round two um, because we're going to fill the building and build a new one, all right? Um, so agree me. If, if they, if they want to get all crazy again, just agree with me. Um, I already think this place has had enough already, all right? So we're just going to keep. Anyway, that was, I don't know if that was God or not, but that, that was, all right. Take a look at what happens next. We have cancel culture in the church. Cancel culture in the church. Look at verse 18. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe that the man had been born blind. And so they said, where are your parents? They're not even taking this man's testimony at face value. They're saying, where's your folks? So they get the folks together. They said, is this your kid? And the parents are scared. Because how many of you know if you get kicked out of the church in those days, you don't go to another church down the street. There's only the one church. And if you get, if you get kicked out of church, uh, you're, you're excommunicated. You're not excommunicated from a building. You're excommunicated from the faith, from God. Like, you're done. There's no hope for you. So mom and dad, check this out. This is the power of religion. Mom and dad are so concerned about their status at church that when they're asked the question, is this your boy? This is what they say. You ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. <laughs> now, now, I'm feeling like I got a mom or dad wound going on at this moment because, mama, I'm your boy. I haven't been able to see your beautiful face since I was born. And now you're throwing it back on me because you don't want to get kicked out of Livingstone's church for giving the wrong answer. I got to go to an encounter and get healed from a mother wound on that one. It says, look at verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, hey, he's old enough. So after they don't get the right answer from mom and dad, the beggar starts talking to the Pharisees, and this is the verse I want to hit on this morning before we got to ship you out of here. They asked him, who healed you? How did this happen? And look at the famous verse. We all know this verse, such a great verse, verse 25. I don't know whether Jesus is a sinner. Now, mind you, this man has never seen Jesus with his eyes yet. Because when he got healed, Jesus wasn't there. And when he had the mud put on, he's still blind. So he hasn't even seen Jesus. So here's what he's saying. 
I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know if he's a good boy, Sunday school boy. I don't know what he's up to. All I know is I was once blind. Now I can see. How do you argue with that? All I know is this guy, Jesus, put mud over my eyes. He told me, go wash. I washed. I can see. That's all I know. It's very, very hard to argue with a person with a passion for Jesus and a story. You might say, well, I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't, I don't know if there is a God. And people get all in their little thing, right? And you can cut through all of that and say, well, you know, I don't know if I got any arguments either, but let me just tell you what happened. God told me to go for a walk with my wife. The next thing I know, I was toast. I had an encounter with a power from another place, and I wept, and my heart was broken, and something got healed inside of me, and my marriage has never been the same, and I blame Jesus. How do you argue? How do you argue with that? And then you're like, well, I don't know if I believe that. And there you are washing your dishes, looking out the window, and there they go strolling by. I don't know if I believe in the existence of God. You know, I've always believed in evolution. <laughs> look out your window, dude, and look at your neighbors. I don't want to get an argument with any of you. How about you just come to our house and watch the way we love each other? How about you just come to our home and sense the peace of God? How about you just watch the way we operate in the marketplace in the joy of the Lord? And you can have all the arguments with the religious folks you want, but I'm just telling you, before Jesus, my life was this way, and since Jesus, this is the way my life is, and I'll take the post-Jesus any day of the week before the pre-Jesus, all right, the B.C. days. But I want you to see this. What happens when good experience encounters bad theology? This guy, this blind beggar, starts getting a little sassy with the Pharisees. And I just have to say I like it, all right? Because <laughs> how many of you know, people at the end of the day don't care about being part of your club. If your club could care less about them. You know, nobody's excited about, I'm a member of the church. You know, you know why you're excited about being a part of a church family? is because people love you. And because you belong, and because this is your tribe, and because this is your family. Am I speaking the truth here, everybody? The, the, these Pharisees are like, you know, hey, if you don't say the right thing, we're kicking you out of here. And this guy's like, who cares? Who cares? He starts getting sassy. He says in verse 31, we know God doesn't listen to sinners, right, Pharisees? But he is ready to hear those who worship him and to do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. True statement. If this man, the blind beggar, former blind beggar, now seeing former blind beggar, says if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And look at the response. I mean, you know, that's some pretty good argument. So they go to the mom and dad, if we're, in a, if we're in a courtroom, they go to mom and dad and say, is this guy your kid? Let him speak for himself. Yes, he's our kid, but let him speak for himself. How I many know that's evidence number one? And then you go to the kid who used to be blind, and he says, yep, that was me. Now I can see. 
That's two bits of evidence in a courtroom that are hard to refute. How many of you know when you're in an argument and you're sharing truth with people and the truth overcomes the lie, they revert not with a counter-argument, but by character assassination, they start calling you names. I can't believe how relevant the Bible is because we're not talking about facts any longer. We're just throwing epitaphs at people. We're, we're cursing people who disagree with us and calling them names. It happens all the time in our culture. So this guy just made a, a compelling argument that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And look at what they said in verse 34. You were born a total sinner, not just a partial sinner, a total sinner. Like every ounce of your being, you loser, is a sinner. Are you trying to teach us, you lowlife beggar? I am a theologically trained religious peacock man of God up here. Woo! I, I, who are you to teach me, you lowlife scum? That's the Amplified Johnson version right there. But it, <laughs> and what do they do? They threw his rear end out of the synagogue. They said, don't let the door slap you on the behind on the way out. They abused him. They insulted him. They rejected him. They called him names. And can I just tell you, nothing has changed. I, I'm just going to say the more we move in the supernatural, the more religious people will say nasty things about us. I'm just warning you, that must be a cult. Oh, yeah, somebody just got healed, and now we made cult status. Well, that is doctrinally just not in order. Oh, really? Talk to the blind guy. I'm telling you, and you'll get cancel cultured. They will send you out the door. My mom and dad have the footprints on their behinds to prove it, all right? No longer the right hand of fellowship, but the left foot of fellowship right out the door. I'm just warning you. The choice is always this. Are you hungry for more of the presence of God in your life? Or are you content to sit on the bench and have religious arguments about what God's supposed to be up to. I'm just telling you by default, we're going to make mud on the Sabbath. We're, <laughs> we're making mud, folks, on the Sabbath, all right? Last time we made mud on the Sabbath, one of our neighbors called the governor's office on us, all right? But we're making mud on the Sabbath. That means we're going to keep being the church of Jesus Christ. We're going to keep praying for folks. We're going to keep believing God for the miraculous. And here's the question I want to ask as we want to close this morning. Do you have a testimony that says, once I was this, but now I'm this? Because that is the baseline for being a Christian. You have to know who you were, and you have to know who you are now. And, and here's the test of it, though. All of that's a bunch of baloney if somebody close to you can't vouch for it. Well, I was a vile sinner, but now I'm a man of God. And your wife's like, no, you ain't. <laughs> you know, I had an encounter with God, and I speak in tongues. Yeah, and you cursed the dog. 
I mean, it's always good to have accountability in your life. But when your wife says, you were once at a number one, and now you're a number seven, and she's got a smile on her face, come on. That's a sign of a person who's encountered the Lord. Last thing I want to say about how beautiful Jesus is, I can't preach this last section. I would love to. Verse 35, the man who had just been kicked out of the synagogue, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. I love Jesus. Jesus tracked the guy down because Jesus cares about people. He tracked the guy down. And I want you to see the journey in this man's faith. I'm just going to hit it quick. I wish I could go into it. In verse 11, he says Jesus is a man. In verse 17, he calls Jesus a prophet. By the time you get to verse 27, Jesus is my master. I'm his disciple. By the time you get to verse 33, Jesus is from God. Verse 35 through 38, Jesus is the son of God. And you look what happens in uh, verses, verse 38. I'll close with this. The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And Jesus says, I love this, you have seen him. He is speaking to you right now. And the man says, yes, Lord, I believe. And look what happened. And he worshiped Jesus. I mean, you know, that's the progression of an encounter with God. I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for us this morning. The altar is open for God encounter business, all right? I want our leaders to come up. If you're here today, this was not a religious service. This is an invitation to a God encounter. And the Lord loves you, and he wants to reveal himself to you, and he cares about you personally, and he's pursuing you, and he's writing a story that is going to be amazing. So, Lord, thank you for these truths. Inspire us with your truth today. And, Lord, even as we leave, thank you we can be a part of bringing the radical, life-changing good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, to somebody even this long weekend. We love you. We bless you. We give you praise now in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Hey, we love you. If we can pray for you, come on down, all right? Have a great, great weekend.